there was no other option really for me. Miles Davis says that the minute you have a backup plan, that backup plan will become your reality. Um, I love that. And that's like a real, real privileged stance to take, but yeah. I didn't have a backup plan. Yeah. And if I was honest with you, like there was no backup plan. Hey there, welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Out. I'm your host, Jared Lazar. Ever wondered what it takes to step outside of a traditional job or career and chase your dreams? Great news, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview inspiring guests who've done something unconventional and created an interesting, novel, or unusual career for themselves. My guest today is Keenan Tyler Olyphant. Keenan is a Cape Town-born theatre maker and director currently in New York at the prestigious Columbia University, studying his MFA in directing for theatre. Keenan is a founding member of Mixing Bowl Productions, which is a Cape Town-based theatre company that produces music theatre. With Mixing Bowl Productions, Keenan has produced and directed a number of productions, including In Between and Private Parts, which have toured at the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown, now Makanda. While in New York, Keenan has directed productions at numerous festivals around the city, including Dixon's Place, uh, Samuel French Off-Off Broadway Festival, and the International Human Rights Arts Festival. Keenan is also a performer in his own right and is an accomplished vocalist and multi-instrumentalist. And very recently, Keenan has also been named as a fellow of the Drama League in New York. Keenan, I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, it's been a long, long time since we, we last spoke. And thank you so much for taking the time out to, to chat. How, how are you? I'm good. It's so funny. I, I just want to note that that's the first time somebody said Olifan in a very long time. <laughs> so I was like, ah, that's my surname. Um, I'm good. I'm good. You know, surviving. It's been a weird year for everybody. Yeah. So um, it seems like it's summer year in New York. And so it feels like the like the air and the spirit of rejuvenation is slowly coming around. So that's really great. Um, yeah, I'm just really happy to be here. So firstly, you've just been named as one of the directing fellows for the Drama League in New York. And congratulations and, and well done. I mean, that's a pretty big achievement, right? And I think it puts your name amongst other illustrious fellows like the late great Chadwick Boseman, who, of course, we all know from Black Panther and, and so on. Um, tell me a bit about that. What, what is the fellowship and, and like what does it mean for your career? Um, so the fellowship is uh, this platform that the Drama League, which is an organization, um, give to uh, directors who they feel are like future um, big names or future um, leaders in the industry. Right. And there's a couple of different areas. They have uh, different types of fellowships that are talking to specific types of directing. And the one that I'm in is called the New York Fellowship, which is really about um, showcasing the craft of directing for upcoming directors. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's like it is a it is a incredible thing to have after um, studying to have an organization that goes like this is a person that we think is a future leader of this industry, yeah. is a future leader of this craft. 
Um, it's a platform we we do certain uh, workshops. We have industry meetings and meeting some industry professionals. And then at the end of it, which will be around January, February next year, um, we do a showcase, uh, a production, a full production showcase where those industry folks then have the ability to uh, come and see our work. Um, so it is an incredible, I feel very blessed and lucky to, yeah. to have landed it. <laughs> it's like an intense in, um, interview process and you have to write a full applica application around like what your work is and how you see, see, see your work operating in this new world that we're going to find ourselves in. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it, it was something that I was taking a big stab at and, and, and it feels really great to have that to have that institution go, well, yeah. we see you and, and we want to want to lift you up in that way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the drama league. And it must be really cool, I guess, being also in, in New York and, and being a creative and, you know, to have all of that energy around you. Um, there's, there's obviously the, the, the common lyric, um, in that song, you know, if you can make it there, then you can make it anywhere. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that must be cool, right? Just the, the idea of being in theater, being in this fellowship and having all this creative energy around you. Right. Yeah, it is. It's one of these things, like I just turned 30 this year um, and I was feeling kind of like not down about it, but I, in, in terms of like reflecting over where my peers had been yeah. um, and the sort of uh, the quote unquote normative adult things that they had were doing, <laughs> getting married, having babies, buying houses. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm still a student. Um, but then I, I sat on a chair one day and I was like, you know, if I close my eyes when I was a 10 year old kid watching movies and watching musicals and, and doing all the, like this weird research that I should not have been doing when I was 12. Um, if I'm honest with myself, that was my dream was to live in New York and be an artist. And yeah. so to sit here and be like, that is my reality is an incredible an incredibly humbling thing because I don't know if I can say that I did it, but it has just occurred. Like I am now sitting center of this dream that I had as a little baby. Um, so it feels nurturing and it also feels somewhat like it is humbling in the sense that dreams don't feel the way that you expect them to feel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's so much more complicated and layered your experience of living there um that dream than than you than you expect so it's the creative energy is incredibly nurturing and it's incredible to have artists that i have admired reflect back to me that my work yes. is valuable and that like the things that i have to offer are needed and wanted um and that's an incredible thing to have somebody um reflect to you and so so for all of those reasons, obviously New York is is the space. But mm -hmm. I, I I will say, and we and I said this before, is like I don't I haven't made it. <laughs> you know, like that that phrase, if we, if I can make it there, I make it anyway. I think yeah. like you consistently in the you in a consistent uh, space of trying to make it, which is fine. Like I feel like if I make it, then I don't know what make it in that sort of understanding of make it. Then what is there for me? post that i'd rather yeah. be in a in a continual attempt to try to reach a, an infinite goal yeah i mean success is in the journey right 
it's it's in the, yeah, of the work in, in India. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Of course. But but to your point is like the reality is like I yeah, I'm here. I'm in New York. I'm a yeah. working artist in the middle <laughs> in the scenes of New York. Which is like you can say I can say it and and, and yeah. be like okay to proclaim it and, and grab hold of it. I mean just on that, so something that I, I love um is, is that you still even though as you say you're an artist in the middle of New York, you're still promoting South Africa and Africa through your work, even though you're effectively creating for an American audience. I think earlier this year, for example, you created and directed a performance called Kaikuska and the Sun, um, or Look at How the Sun Shines. And and I see as I see it, you kind of are forging this path for other South Africans looking to get into theater and, and directing in New York um, that can now follow in your footsteps. I mean, is that something that you think about at all? Yeah, no. I mean, I feel like I feel like my art and my artistry and my work is an extension of South Africa in a multiple, multiple ways. The way I create art, I have discovered coming for, coming away from home is like is intrinsically linked to um, a my culture, a our culture as being coloured, b um, um, being birthed in between the like apartheid and being born free because you know I, I was born nineteen ninety one, so I was in this weird limbo space. I think it's like definitely linked to me not knowing my ancestry, ancestral history. It's definitely linked to me rediscovering my blackness and, and being forced to like um, deal with anti-blackness that we has been to- taught to us in the colored community and the, and the way in which we um, continue that cycle of anti-blackness. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so I think the work, when it's my own generative work, is always reaching back home and reaching back into myself and my body and my history and my ancestry. Um, I believe that as as artists, we I believe in like that as artists, we are called to do something in the same way that a healer is called in traditional Southern African um, uh, cultures. Like I feel like I've been called to do this by my ancestors. I've been called to do this by God. I've been called um, to create work. Um, which is like, when you say it, sometimes I feel like it feels like ethereal. It feels like I'm, I'm making something out, but it's the way that I, I really believe it. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's a humbling effect. It's like, it's not only about me. It's about a greater tradition. It's about a greater history. And in that way, um, it's, it's, it's the way I pull South Africa in, in just the way I, I work, just how I create work is is completely linked to South Africa and Africa um, and also is completely linked to colonialization and the impact that colonialization has had on Africa because as colored bodies we are you know we are the children of that impact of that mm. that smashing especially as Cape Coloreds especially as coloreds that are birthed in this like weird little point of Africa that was, the first entry for Europeans on on the land, and so I, I I recall I try to recall things that I don't know, things that have been lost to me, languages that have been lost to me, the the way the ways in which I that the ways in which my ancestors may have seen the world that have been lost to me. I'm trying to find that through the work consistently. How many colored brown boys do you know that? are directors in New York. Like it's, 
it's bizarre. It's like, it's like, I just think as a being specifically colored and then largely as a part of um, a black body, um, I am like recalling, I'm, I'm, I'm knowing that my, my presence here is not just about me. Yes. I'm hoping at some point in time that that it that my body my me doing this my journey has become removed from me as myself me as my ego and is a a uh, signal to other brown and black boys and girls and non um, binary folk that your 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 body your experiences your history your ancestry your voice is valid and you can choose how you want to express it and where you want to express it and um so it's it's like it's it's definitely completely always linked to home regardless yeah. of what i do i'm always thinking about um i'm always thinking about how i'm who am i carrying with me okay. and in in that sense like i always want to speak to not only um my personal ancestors but also like my artistic ancestors um uct drama department was integral in the way i believe and i'm always just like um i'm always in the wake of really incredible artists that i try to name and i try to like speak their speak their presence into existence in my work um yeah i wouldn't be here without those artists you know like it's just like it's i'm trying my i try and i imagine that as as I continue to, um, if I'm lucky, as my career continues to grow, that I will be recalling those those names and and hopefully being able to use my body as a as a, a vessel for other young artists that are not known right now. Yeah. Um, use my body as a vessel to to help them in whatever way I can. And and I think if ever there was a moment in history for those stories to be told now now is the time right um I mean, yeah. you see everything that's happening in the world so so that's fantastic you you mentioned something very particular and 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 that i want to unpack later which is that you felt like you, you were called to become an artist you were called mm. to there's all these stories and i do want to get into that a bit later but but for now if we can just kind of unpack your, your journey a little bit so mm. You're at New York's uh, Columbia University and, and you're in the master's program. And I mean, getting into Columbia University is a big deal. It's an Ivy League university. It's, you know, super exclusive. I think the the acceptance rate is something like 5%. So so this is a, it's a proper achievement. Firstly, I think you have an amazing story to tell about how you actually get into Columbia and the auditioning process and, yeah. and how all of that unfolds. How did that happen? So I like I I I I knew that I needed to 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 um, expand on my craft. I like I knew yeah. that um, because I didn't necessarily study directing as as craft. I had studied as studied theater as an idea, um, um, and so I really knew that I wanted to. I needed for myself to like be in a space where I could just like ironically not focus on money and not focus on right. branding and not focus on marketing really just focus on creating my work and like yeah. figuring out how I want to do it. What exactly do I want to say? What is the spaces that I want to create? And like those sort of conversations. And that was really important for me. Um, 
And so I had applied to the MA program at UCT, but the, with the MA program at UCT, I felt like my bubble was still very small. I wanted to be challenged. I wanted to fail. I wanted to like be scared. Um, and, and UCT felt very safe for me. And also it's an MA, so it wasn't an MFA. Like I wouldn't be spending most of my time on the ground making the work. I would be spending more of my time, like a lot of it being doing research which I'm great at, but I often use that as an armor for the actual making of the work. Um, and so I, I started this like dream application a year before I came of applying to some schools, but really didn't know anything. Um, and then for a host of reasons, including financially, um, my family wasn't in a great space and it felt irresponsible to try to, to, try to move past yeah. um, and move into this like journey where I would have to be so far away from home. Um, and so I put it on pause for a year and then I was really at the moment where I was thinking, you know what, this is not going to be reality. I will just continue to teach and try to make money and then work in the, with, with the theater company. Um, and then weirdly my dad's an Uber driver and my dad Ubered, Ubered somebody from UCT and my dad can talk like nobody's business and it makes everybody <laughs> feel comfortable in the car. And he was talking to this guy and this guy was like, and he was telling, this guy was American and my dad was telling him how his son really would want to go to New York and is in theater and music theater. And the guy goes, wait, what's your son's name? And my dad goes, Keenan, Keenan Oliphant. And the guy was my honors lecture, my honors um, advisor who had, spoken to me about doing an MFA and he was like, listen, if Keenan is still interested, let's do this. Let's make it work. So this was like a yeah. full year afterwards. My dad comes home and gets, goes, tells me a story, guess you wouldn't know. And I yeah. set up a meeting and my advisor was like, you should do it. Just do it. Just mm -hmm. think of, find, research it and just figure it out. And so the first one that I applied to another school, which I didn't get in, which was specifically for musical theater, but they were very interested in me. And I kind of figured out that I'd have to come over at some point in time. And once I knew that, I was like, okay, I have 3,000 Rand that I can play with. Um, let me just see how many applications I can get out of my 3,000 Rand. And which is three, um, because they cost $110 each. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so I've got this one that was Penn State. Let me apply. Let me just, I literally typed in New York directing theater. And mm -hmm. Columbia came out. And Yale came out and I was like, okay, I'll just apply for those, those three. I didn't know what an Ivy was. I didn't know <laughs> that these are the two top schools for directing and nothing like that. Didn't get into Yale because there was not enough experience. Um, I didn't have enough experience, but Columbia then sent me on the 27th of December, sent me an e email to say, you've been invited to an audition, no interview, you have to come over. I was like, is there a way, do they provide funding? No, you have to do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And the audition was on the 1st of Feb. So it was like, I have a month. Um, I took out extra credit cards and was like, well, let's just make it happen. And friends of mine threw a benefit concert to try to give me more money. Um, they surprised me with this benefit concert and eventually got the money, got into the cab, like figured everything out and was able to come over here. I'd never been overseas by myself. I'd obviously never been to New York before. Um, had enough money to be here for a month. I came here for a week and was like, obviously, the space has been in my dream so here for a while. Um, and then I went 
to the audition, which like was an intensive three-day audition, technically. There was tw- 27 auditionees, and only six of those 26, 27 were going to be chosen. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do, how we were going to do it. And they just threw you in the deep end. I felt like I was on American Idol or something like that because it was like, <laughs> they threw you in the deep end. They were like, you um, need to make a piece. It has to be up by 10 a.m. tomorrow. Um, it has to be fully performed. You also have to perform in a piece. Like it has to be, so it's like, you have to learn your own lines, but also direct something else. It has to be five minutes, but light, sound, everything. We judging it as if it was, you've had months and months of rehearsal. Wow. And so I like, I think I literally got two hours of sleep that night and I did the audition. Um, I felt very good about the audition and then went, while I was doing that audition process, I then went to Penn State and also had to audition there. Um, and then I was like, Penn State just was not, I could feel in my bones, it was one, it was not the place for me. And Columbia really just, the ethos, um, the lecturer and Bogart, just the way in which they create work was like what I, all everything I wanted and so I decided that I'm going to come back to New York for a little bit just to like feel it out a little bit more and on my plane ride back home I was like if I don't get into Colombia then I'm not going to go I'll try again next year um but I also felt like you know what I'm probably not going to get into Colombia like I'm probably it's not going to be a thing so um I just was like this is the one time I'm probably going to be in New York so let me just live it up yeah, I yeah. maxed out those credit cards like an idiot <laughs> and came back home. And then uh, a month later, uh, I got a, the rejection letter from the Penn, from Penn State. And I was super confident that I was going to get into Penn State because they were yeah. so, they were so happy with me. Um, so when I got the rejection letter from Penn State, I, I was like, the whole thing then for me was unstabilized. And my mom and I, I told the story because it's just an incredible story. But my mom and I were sitting at um, what it's, I think it's Tiger's Milk now in in um, in Usenberg, like looking over the water because my mom she had an off day, and you know, colored mommies they're like, you need to make my off day a quiet day. So we went to this restaurant, but I was not in this mind frame because I just got this rejection. I was like, yeah. all the things that I thought I wanted are now hanging in the loop, and we were looking over the over the water. And eventually, my mom is not like somebody that. The conversations that we have are not necessarily these deep conversations and she never really prods me. Um, and and she turned to me and she was like, what will you do if you don't get in? And I said, I don't know. I just have no clue. I can't even think about that. And we went home and I then, like a good colored boy, I got out of my outgoing out clothes and get, getting into my home clothes. And as I pulled down my pants, I looked over and my phone had rung and it said New York, New York. And there was only one person that I knew for in New York and I, that yeah. I knew was going to phone. And I picked up the phone and it was Ed Bogart and she said, we'd love to have you. And I was literally had my pants around my ankles. And my mother had heard the conversation outside and I like came in and yeah. started crying. And we were all like happy. And then a week later, we got the $96,000 bill that I'd have to, to, wow. to fund. And so, like, then immediately all that joy was, like, super, like, yeah. because who has $96,000? Sure. And in order to get the visa, you have to prove to the government, the U.S. government, that you have all of that money. Mm-hmm. Not, you can't just be like, I have some, you have to prove that you have all of that money. And so, from March, 
to July to August, I was like hustling to try to find this money. And, and eventually none of the scholarships that I was applying for were giving me firm answers. And I just thought there's nothing else I can do but ask for, for help. And that's when we started the, um, the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah which in retrospect was an incredibly successful crowdfunding campaign. And I was just so overwhelmed and moved by the amount of people that were willing to, yeah. to support me. We raised something like $176,000, 176,000 rand, um, which was an incredible amount. And it's still an incredible amount for people to just like you to support you. But in the grander schemes, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was like $19,000 or $18,000, which was like, a big a big seg- segment but yeah. yeah 18 versus 96 is not as much so um but that that the the crowdfunding and the and the and the feeling that the crowdfunding gave me was just like a, an energy that i needed to to continue eventually everything fell into place i don't know how it just like super happened to me it's nothing that i can mm. tell you exactly how it just one day i woke up and it all was there and people were like yes we'll support you and I uh, booked my interview on, I still remember the date. It was August 16th. I had to be in New York by August 26th. When I went for my interview, the um, the officer said that they didn't believe that I had all the money, even though I had all these receipts and that my um, application would have to go into review. And so I sat for two weeks not knowing whether I was going to get this yeah. visa or not. And the day that I booked my flight, the day that I was supposed to fly out was the 25th. Um, my visa got uh, got approved, and I picked up my visa the, as I was packing my bags. Like I picked up my bag, picked <laughs> up my visa, got my bags, went to the airport, and came over with three bags, not knowing where I was going to stay. The the place that I was, the person that was hosting me, I didn't admit was somebody that some you know that had come together um, and helped me out and. That's how I got here. Like was thrown yeah. super into the into the process. So that's yeah. an incredibly long story, <laughs> but like an it's an, it's just like a, a story that it literally just happened. Yeah, but I mean that's really so inspiring, and and I think it takes a lot of bravery too, because you know so so this podcast is all about breaking out of walls that that box us in in our lives and our careers um, when we want to pursue our dreams and and follow our passions, right? And I think probably the most real, the most tangible wall that that many people face is money and and its material mm. resources, right? I mean, money opens doors; it gives you access to opportunities. So, you know, to to go and do a crowdfunding campaign, I think it, it takes a lot of bravery because you know you, you kind of are putting yourself out there and and I think relying on on people to help you get there. But mm. what I'm interested to find out is, you know, for for someone in a similar space to what you were, um, would you advise someone to do something like crowdfunding? Uh, mm. Would you do it again if you had the mm. chance to relive that moment? What was what, what mm. your feeling around all of that process? I I would advise, I, I mean, I've watched people, I've watched people in similar positions do crowdfunding and, and it not work out. And I can't tell you what the alchemy or what the, why mine worked in that way. I think the lesson that I that I'm still still learning and still having to remind myself on often is that people want to help people do want to invest and assist in 
seeing somebody achieve their dream. And so, I mean, a crowdfunding was the thing that showed me that. And, and the thing that I had to actually like let go of pride and let go of, um, I think there's a, there's a struggle because when society reflects certain things to us, right? It's, it reflects that you can achieve your dream, but it also reflects that um, you need to be a certain way. And, and, and like, we are, you know, we went to Weinberg, we, we are little colored boys that were the first sort of second generation to go to these white schools. And I think that there's a level of pride that you're trained to have that don't let the cracks show. Um, don't let the cracks show because it might not be received well. And, and I'm not saying that me not, have, not having money is not a crack. It should not be something that you're like ashamed of, um, especially when it's $96,000. But, um, but it is something that I had to be okay with, learn to be okay with showing people my quote unquote brokenness and like the things that I, that I couldn't necessarily align all the time. And so I, I don't know if I would, I mean, if a crowd, sure, do a crowdfunding, but, but I think the more, the, the more important thing to know is that re, release your pride so that you can discover for yourself your truer self. And then, then don't be afraid to show that truer self and your mm-hmm. truest desires and dreams to people because you don't know who is willing to, who will, who, who will see you in that way. Like people will see it, see your vulnerability and they will see that it's genuine. They will see that you are being sincere and genuine. And, um, and, and somebody will, somebody will say, I can help you. Somebody will say, I can help you. Mm-hmm. And so like, I just, I, that's what I would say to, to focus. Just like ask well, ask for what you, you need in a real genuine way. And somebody will respond. So looking a bit forward, I guess, um, you know, at Columbia, where does studying at Columbia, I guess, like fit in the, the plan or the, the path for you? What's kind of the ideal end yeah. goal scenario that, that you're kind mm-hmm. of working towards? Right. Um, for me, I what, part of the journey was also um, letting go of plan. You yeah. know, like letting go <laughs> of... Because I think that when I was like in my early 20s, um, I was so focused on a, on a plan. Yeah. And like, this is what I'm going to do then and this is what I'm going to do now. Um, I know that I want to be an artist. That's my, that's what I want to do. Um, there are certain things that I would love to hit. Like I would love to start a, a art center or a creative performing arts space in Athlone, somewhere in the community, just to like really give vocality to black and brown voices, um, in a way that is like, in a way that doesn't need money like it's like the emphasis is not on making my living it's literally just on being a space that is safe and um and can uphold those voices and just like lift them up um i know i want to do that i and but besides that i'm like i want to be a working artist i want to sustain myself by being able by doing artwork mm-hmm. and so the plan if the plan, if there was a plan, 
continues to be continues to evolve and 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 be molded around how can I do that? You know, how can I be a working artist? Um, sustain myself and be a working artist. I w- I mean, I won't lie to you and say like that I would never want to be a, a directing on Broadway or I never want, you know, those are obviously things that in your mind you think about and like that, yeah, that'd be quite, that would be nice. It would be nice to, it would be incredible to be on Broadway. Let's not, let's not say that, but um, let's not, I'm not going to deny that, but um, I released that. I released those, those markers of success um, to measure my or to build my plan around because yeah. there's actually no way you can build, build the plan. That's the reality of this industry, yeah. really. Like, there's no way you can. I could say, like, after this, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and nobody could want my art. I could make bad art. Mm-hmm. I could make um, my work could not resonate with people. And the and then all for all those plannings, I, I don't get where I need to get. Um, so, so my goal is to not is to just take it not a day at a time even though i would like to get to that point i don't know if i have um the discipline to be at that point but it is just about what are the steps towards me being able to be in be an artist mm-hmm. you know and there's some personal goals that i would love i i, I want to put my parents in a, a great retirement village you know, like, and that's a goal. That's like, uh, that's like, how can I, how can I be an artist, earn enough to sustain myself, and put my parents in a retirement village? Um, and like, those are the sort of plans that I that that are in my mind now, rather than career trajectory. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, how Columbia fits into that? Uh, I had to come over here for myself to understand what a gift I actually had back home. Like, A, both artistically and personally, like, I actually had to be away from that thing to be able to go like, oh, this thing is powerful. It's unique. Yeah, you know, like, it's incredible. And I also needed, I needed some, I needed an interest, I needed people to reflect to me that I'm an artist. Like, I need, I don't think I fully believed that before I came. I needed, um, I needed people to go like, you are an artist. The work that you make is, art and it's mm-hmm. worthy of that that title and we need it and it affects people and it changes people um i needed to hear that so that i could know that it was possible yeah um so yeah. columbia was that thing for me and then obviously besides being that thing it's like columbia is as you say an ivy league in new york um People look at my resume a little differently. People will take meetings with me. People will reach out to me because of that, because of that um, platform that I have. Yes. And so it has been a launch, launching pad into towards creating a sustainable career as as a theater maker and an artist. Yeah, I mean, you're not the first guest on the show to say to me that there's something in not having a plan um because i think it's easy to get overwhelmed sometimes by the bigness of you know this end goal and you put a lot of pressure on yourself Mm. to achieve that um so that's quite interesting i think for for our listeners to to unpack i mean performing and theater has always been a part of your 
your life, right? Um, certainly, as mm-hmm. long as I've known you, you've been yeah. <laughs> performing and, and doing music and, and so on. At what point does the idea of a career in the performing right. arts like start to take hold? Like, how does that conversation with your parents go to say, mom and dad, this is what I want to do yeah. with the rest of my life? Yeah. And I'm not going to do accounting or right. finance or, or whatever yeah, else yeah, that's yeah. going to make me lots of money one day. Yeah. Shame. Shame my parents. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, they knew I wasn't going to do accounting because of my failing math mark. <laughs> so that wasn't a surprise to them. Um, again, like, I, I remember, I remember it started as early as me even choosing my subjects in grade 10. Because I told my parents, like, I'm going to be an artist. I don't need math. I don't need science. These things are things that I don't need. And my daddy was like, Keenan, you can't say that now you're 17 you're 16 right like how can you say that this is what you're gonna do and i was like i it's just what i want to do i want to do mass lit i want to do art i want to do music and i want to do history because those are the things that i that i know that i can use um and my dad was like no 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 and we even at in grade 10 we went to see a career advisor at uct because my parents were so nervous about this thing and it's you can understand these especially colored and black parents have put so much and sacrificed so much right. for their children to go to these schools, to get this opportunity to have a kid then say to you, I want to be an artist. It's yeah. like, it takes a moment. It takes a long time for them to, to go on their journey with you. Um, and it took my parents a long time. They were very supportive, but they, they really had to agree to go on the journey with me. Um, so I, I, like it started there. I was just super, I just knew that this is what I wanted to do. You know, I just always, there was no other option really for me. Miles Davis says that the minute you have a backup plan, that backup plan will become your reality. Um, I love that. And that's like a real, real privileged stance to take, but yeah. I didn't have a backup plan. Yeah. And if I was honest with you, like there was no backup plan. There was, I took English in university because I was like, if I, if all else fails, I'll become an English teacher. I'll have this thing and I'll go do my PGCE and then I'll become a teacher. Um, but that was never true for me. You know, teaching was never the end goal. Yeah. Um, as And it is an art form. Like teaching is an art form. And to be able to be a teacher is to be an artist and to inspire and and I think we can all know that the people, those teachers that inspired us are artists in, their, in that in that sense, but it just wasn't the form. It wasn't the mm-hmm. form that I was going into. So um, the conversations with my parents were, were about just them asking me to have a backup plan and and me not refusing to have a backup plan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that like, I, I, when people ask me this question, it's the real, the reality is that I just knew that, that, mm-hmm. that I was going to do this. And I, and I was, I'm stubborn. I'm very stubborn. So don't tell me I can't do it because yeah. I will show you that I will. Um, and so there were so many forces that were, were showing me that I couldn't do it. Um, that I refused to let it go. I will say that the one thing that my parents the, the thing that we did agree on was that I needed a, a an education, like a, a, mm-hmm. a post, um, a university education. And yes. that was the thing that my, my father, um, he left his education. My mom 
is a is a radiologist at a children's hospital, and so she didn't go to a full tertiary education. And I think the, the my dad was like, whatever you do, get an get a get a degree, get something in your hand. Right. And that was the agreement. Um, and now I've got three, <laughs> and so like I've maybe gone overboard um, <laughs> with that, but. But I, I, I do I, like for me the for me to go into university was this the the foundation and also the um, the fallback it was that I've got a degree I've got yes. I've studied this I'm an expert in this um, and so that was the the only one agreement that we not the only one but the the agreement that we had as 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 a young person and a, and, a, and and parents to say I'll yeah. get my degree. And and I guess like you know, turning towards making that a, a career and and going into the the business, I guess of of theatre because it it is a business. I mean, yeah. as much as one would do it for the love and the passion of it, like theatre and performance is a business, and so you've got to pay the bills somehow, right? So you you co-founded Mixing Bowl Productions while you were in Cape Town, and and of course even now you're, you're still working in in theatre in New York as as part of your your training um you kind of alluded earlier on to the the branding and the marketing aspect of it and and kind of the the energy that 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 takes and i think you've now got some experience in the business of of theater what's been the biggest lesson for you so far in in this experience in terms of making a a, a business out of theater and, and is establishing yourself as having your own brand and, and, and so on in the space. Yeah. I don't want to be like, I don't want to be that, like that, uh, that spiritual hippie person to say that be yourself, but really what you're selling, selling in inverted call, in, in, yeah. you know, like it's like selling. I hate that word, but what you're offering people, that's a better word. What you're offering people is yourself. You are offering yourself. And, uh, and 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 for me to to be to be so young and because that is still young and in your twenties you are very young to, to offer yourself is the difficult thing because you are still understanding you're still growing you're still okay. figuring it out and you maybe always are doing that so then therefore to like not offer a skill but to offer yourself is is a tricky thing and I I feel like I've learned that at all at all walks of life, whenever I've tried to um, package myself in a way that I think I need to package myself, I've failed. Or it, or the, the results haven't been um, what I would hope they would be. And the moments where I've been, when I've truly given myself in all aspects, and this is like, this is like um, in meetings, in industry, in industry conversations, not only in artists' conversations, like in all aspects of this career, when I've been truly given myself, I've been astounded by the responses. Um, but again, that takes away pride. That takes away, uh, you have to leave your pride. You have to uh, um, give up knowing because what yeah. branding and marketing does in our mind is that you know what the product is right. you know everything is controlled it's it's already determined and it's a package deal that you're giving somebody when you are going this is me right now i don't know you are also you are having to sit 
inside and the uncomfortability of not knowing. And so the thing that I've always learned is that when I've done that, what, what I've experienced is that when I've done that, what has been reflected back to me has been things that are so much more than I could have imagined. And also, I think the other thing that I've, I, I've learned is also just you have to be okay with failure. You have to be friends with failure, um, especially in this industry, especially being an artist. Like failure is something that you have to become very comfortable with. And you have to see failure not as something bad, but also as something that gives you another opportunity. A death it means that there's potential for birth. Darkness means that there's potential for light. You know, okay. negative space means that there's potential for something to come into that space. Um, emptiness is potential for growth. And failure is potential for success. So you can't be afraid of those failures, right? And like, you you have to expect those failures. I'm expecting to fail multiple times from now on until whenever. I'm expecting to artistically fail. I'm expecting to personally fail. I'm expecting to networkly and brandingly fail. You know, in all areas of my, my life, I'm expecting to fail. And when those failures do come, I'm excited for what they will present. Because to be human is to fail. That's like, that is the thing. And so, um, so those two aspects are like ethereal aspects that there are theory lessons that I learned, but again, I like I guess the 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 um, um, the, the theme of this <laughs> this conversation is that ethereal doesn't necessarily mean it's not practical. Just because they're philosophical doesn't mean it doesn't it's not something that is very real and tangible. And that's it up on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to right now. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share with others and leave a rating and review. This has been the Breaking Out Podcast and I've been your host, Jared Lazar. Until next time. On Facebook, I think you put out a message to say that if there's any young artists or, or creatives that want to find out about their you know how you got to where you are and some of the practical steps and i think you put out an offer that someone can just email you and, and you can get in touch yeah my i'm available to people if they need if i can assist them in any way okay. and if it's and it's not only linked to uh, arts like if you're just thinking about i i can obviously speak specifically to the artistic nature of it but i can also and I can speak specifically to the American international students. Yeah, um, okay. But if I can offer any help to anybody that is thinking like it's, or even if you just like, it's something that I think I might want to do. I knew very little. And maybe that was a good thing. <laughs> um, maybe knowing very little and being naive was helpful, but, but I wish I knew some more, a little yeah. bit more. And if, if I could be that, um, springboard or that uh, um, mirror and help you with those with learning something more and just getting more information about this whole process I'm so happy to do that um, yeah you can find me on social media and and from there you will always find a link to my 
email address. And I think I think it's on my website, which is askeenandtylerolifant.com. 